I want to preach to you this afternoon about the living bread. The living bread. I'll begin this story over in John chapter 6, where you'll find in the earliest verses, Jesus performing one of the greatest miracles of all time. He took a few loaves and a few fishes, and he fed thousands and thousands of people. Well, the Bible says that he took to the other side of the nearby sea. Actually, this was the same evening he walked on water. And when he got to the other side, many who had been fed found boats, and they went to the other side too. Uh, And when he encountered them over there, he told them, you didn't follow me because of the miracles. You followed me because you ate of the loaves and were fed. And uh, the crazy thing is, they didn't even deny it. They pretty much acknowledged uh, his diagnosis of them, and we'll get to that in a minute. They had witnessed one of the greatest miracles of all time. If you've ever studied physics... One of the first laws of physics is that matter cannot be created, cannot be destroyed. Well, my friends, that day he created matter. And when I read about this in the Bible, I think about some of these science shows I see on TV where they say the universe began as a cosmic egg and then kaboom, it blew into a great big cloud of hydrogen. And then the hydrogen formed into stars and they cooked up helium and then we went from helium to this and and this to that and soon we had a universe. And I'm thinking to myself, if you can come up with a universe with a cloud of hydrogen, then I reckon it'd be a lot easier to come up with one from a big batch of bread. (laughs) Because bread has got hydrogen in it and lots of other things too. So if Jesus could turn a couple of loaves into thousands, then he could turn thousands into millions, and millions into billions and billions into trillions, and he could fill up a universe with bread and make the planets and the stars and all that. So this is really an incredible miracle, and yet the people after experience it are saying, wonder when they're going to serve supper around here. <laughs> they have uh, no appreciation whatsoever what has happened. And uh, if you want to know what is wrong with these people, I'll give it to you in real plain terms. Now, uh, let's suppose that you were starting to suspect that Brother David is getting out of his mind, going senile, getting a little crazy. And you carry him to the psychiatrist. You know, we make jokes about psychiatrists, but you better watch that psychiatrist. He can throw you in the nut house. So uh, we take Brother David to the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist is going to analyze Brother David. Brother Lewis does this kind of work so he can confirm what I'm about to say. Now here's what the psychiatrist is going to do. 
He's going to hold a conversation with you and ask you some questions. And what he's wanting to know is, do you believe things that are unbelievable? And do you deny things that are undeniable? And if he sees that you're believing things that are unbelievable and you're denying things that are undeniable, the diagnosis is going to be, you're crazy. And you're going on medication in the best case or in the nut house in the worst. So if you want to know what's wrong with all these people in denying what they have seen, the answer is they're crazy. They're all crazy. And if you want to know when they went crazy, the Bible didn't allow us to speculate about that. The Bible tells us when they went crazy, they were born crazy. That's what the Bible teaches. All men are born crazy. And they are crazy until God corrects their sickened minds. And so, this John 6 will be the great chapter where he'll tell us about all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. That's in 637. Then in 44, it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God Every man that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Now, when he tells the Jews, you're just here to get full, they basically affirmed and they said, look, Moses gave us bread. What you've done is no bigger than what Moses did when he brought down the manna from heaven. So why should we be impressed with you? And Jesus instantly corrected them. He said, Moses did not give you that bread. Which is true. If you'll go over and uh, read the, the Exodus story, Moses wasn't a cause. He wasn't a means. All he did was announce it. And Moses would have been as dead as the rest of them if God had not caused that bread to fall down from heaven. But then Jesus tells them, the true bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life to the world. What he's telling the Jews there is that when you read the manna story, you failed to get the point. The manna was representative of another bread that God sends down from heaven, feeds people, and now... Uh, I'm going to show you in a few minutes, I hope, how that throughout the Old Testament Scriptures we were being told about this magical bread that God sends down from heaven for us to eat. So very quickly, the first time we'll read about this bread will be in Genesis chapter 14. There you're reading about the story of Abraham. And there's not time to go into details, but in Genesis 14, you'll read about where a very mysterious man named Melchizedek, the first man called a priest in the Bible, and probably the first legitimate priest to ever live on this earth, meets Abraham, and he brings Abraham bread and wine and he blesses him. Alright, now uh, if you've ever sat in on a communion service 
what do you have in a communion service? You have bread and wine. And they mean exactly the same thing. This Melchizedek, this mysterious priest, and I'm going to let you ask your preacher to preach to you about Melchizedek so he can explain to you all the things about him that were so mysterious. He comes bringing Abraham bread and wine. And Abraham honors this Melchizedek. In fact, he gives him a huge tithe. Now, Abraham uh, in the Bible is a superhero. Everybody honored Abraham. Moses honored Abraham. Uh, Elijah honored Abraham. But now we've got a man that Abraham considers to be greater than himself. That Melchizedek was one of the earliest pictures of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And I want you to see this. Abraham didn't go to Melchizedek. Melchizedek went to him and fed him the bread and wine. Symbols we use today of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Now in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 15, we're going to read a famous verse about God made a promise to Abraham and the Bible says Abraham believed God and it counted or was counted unto him for righteousness. You know why Abraham believed God? Because he had been fed the magical bread in the chapter before by Melchizedek. Alright, so I get a little later in the book of Genesis. And we're going to read more about the magical bread. The last 14 chapters of Genesis, actually there's 13 out of the last 14, are about the life of one person. And this seems strange because Genesis spent three chapters telling you about the creation of the whole universe. It spent six chapters talking about the first 1,500 years of world history. And now it's going to spend 13 chapters telling you about the life of one man named Joseph. So when you're reading this, you're thinking, surely this Joseph is going to be a great figure in the history of Israel. It's greatest king or something like that. No, that's not going to happen. He's almost going to disappear from the Bible after this story is told. His name will appear to identify his family. But when we get past this, not much more is going to be said. And what that tells you is the story of Joseph is not really about Joseph. The story of Joseph is about somebody else. And there are probably as many parallels between Joseph and Jesus Christ as any biblical figure. It's just absolutely amazing. But how did Joseph rise to fame and glory when he saved the people out of many nations and kindreds and tongues with his bread? You remember he stored up huge amounts of bread for a period of seven years and then a terrible drought hits that area of the world and people begin to come to Joseph out of various nations seeking bread. He was the savior of many people. And that all ended when Israel itself came to him for bread. 
The Bible said that's how things are going to happen with Jesus Christ. Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come a deliverer out of Sion, and turn on godliness from Jacob. What does Israel mean in that text? It means something other than a Gentile. Isn't that obvious? The Gentiles are being brought in, he says. When they're brought in, then the Jews. Same as in the story of Joseph. The last to come to him for bread are his own people, and they joyously bow to him uh, <clears throat> and gracious thanks. All right, now uh, we move a little later in the Bible. We come to the time the children of Israel in the wilderness. And the manna starts falling down from heaven. We already know this is a picture of Jesus Christ, the true bread, because that's where we started in John chapter 6. And we began to look at this manna, and it has a lot of similarities to Jesus. It came from heaven. He came from heaven. It was free. Uh, The salvation that he gives us is free. That manna was the perfect food. God designed it for the human body. I've said many times, if I had only a thimbleful of that manna, I'd get rich. Because people have been arguing all my life about what's good for you and what's not good for you. You know, eggs are good for you. No eggs are not good for you. And coffee's good for you. No coffee's not good for you. And they're always arguing about that. But if I had a thimble of manna, I could forever settle the question of what's good for you because this was a food designed by God. And let me tell you, the true bread of heaven is good for you. It is the perfect food. That uh, manna had a had some peculiar properties. The Bible said he that gathered much had nothing over and he that gathered little had no lack. And uh, there's some of you here like me. Uh, you've been part of God's church for many years, read his Bible many times. I've tried to preach several thousand sermons in my life. I hope I've gathered much. But there'll be no more for me than the little infant in heaven who died in its infancies. He that gathered much had nothing over. He that gathered little had no lack. And here's another important thing you need to know about the manna. God never denied the Israelites the manna. He punished them in many ways. He denied them, but He kept bringing the manna down from heaven. And there's a simple explanation for that. God expects you to obey but you can't obey if you're dead, right? We are to obey Jesus Christ, but we cannot obey if we are dead. Jesus is necessary for life, and Jesus is therefore necessary for obedience. So God kept that manna coming down from heaven. All right, now... uh, A whole sermon could be preached on the manna, but we're going to move on a little bit later in the Bible. We come to uh, the book of Leviticus and the tabernacle. This was a 
worship place designed by God, the great architect of the universe. Every detail of it is telling a story. It's the most brilliantly constructed building, I suppose, has ever been. Now, uh, not time to talk about these details, but I'll tell you this. When you walked in to that tabernacle, one of the first things you saw over here were 12 loaves of bread. And over here on the other side, you saw some golden candlesticks. What are those? They are what enable you to see the bread. If you didn't have the candlesticks, you wouldn't see the bread. The candlesticks are the Holy Spirit of God. But the bread is Jesus Christ. And we'll read things in the Bible about how God told them to make this bread. And uh, this will apply not only to the show bread, but also to the meal offerings that we're going to read about later in the Bible. First of all, God told them, you will not put leaven in this bread. Leaven represents sin. This bread represents someone who's sinless. God said you will always put salt in it. This is bread that endures. It preserves. Uh, One requirement they had was that the bread could not be mixed with honey. Honey in the Bible is a symbol of affluence. You remember the lamb flowing with milk and honey? This bread represents someone who was poor. And then they were to sprinkle frankincense on this bread. Frankincense is like heavenly pixie dust. (laughs) Frankincense represents that which is heavenly, that which is divine. You remember when Jesus was born, they brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold, his divine being. Excuse me, gold, his regal being. He's a king. Frankincense, his divine being. Myrrh, bitter, bitter. His human being and the terrible things that he would experience in dying uh, for our sins. So, this bread was to be sprinkled with frankincense. It is a heavenly bread. All right, now we move a little later in the Bible. We're moving fast now. Uh, We get over in the book of Judges. And you'll read about... Uh, a poor Jewish family that were driven from their land because of the terrible drought in Israel. They go into Moab. The two sons in this family marry Moabite women. One of these women is named Ruth. In time, the father of the family died. The sons died. And we're left with three widows. The old Jewish woman, Naomi, and uh, the two Moabite daughter and laws. Now, one thing you got to know in the Bible is that the Moabites were people who were conceived in sin and shame. They were brought into the world by a drunken act of incest. And if you don't know what that is, I'm glad you don't. But it's very, very bad. They were brought into the world in sin and shame. Uh, Ruth was born in sin and shame. But Ruth loves the God of Israel. And that's going to make all the difference in the world. 
Alright, now, Ruth is a widow, Naomi is a widow, and they're under hardship. And they receive news that things back in Israel have changed. And listen how the Bible words this, this change of events. They heard that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. The Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Well, 2,000 years ago, the Lord visited His people and He gave them bread. So Jew and Gentile, Naomi and Ruth, they head back to Israel to find bread and they are going to encounter a man there who's loaded in it. He's got lots and lots of bread. His name is Boaz. Powerful picture of Jesus. And little old Ruth is going to catch the eye of Boaz. He's going to love her and marry her. And she shall be elevated from her state of rejection and shame and sin to a glorious bride and one of the most honored women in Jewish history. Ruth. Well, I move over into the 1 Kings chapter 17. In fact, this is where I'm going to wrap this up. Well, I hadn't taken that much time. (laughs) I told them I was charging by the minute. Uh, So we get over into 2 Kings chapter 17. We'll read about a great prophet named Elijah. And uh, God sends Elijah up to Gentile country. There's a terrible drought in the land. So God sends Elijah up into Gentile country, up to Sidon. And God tells Elijah, there's a widow woman there. You go to that widow woman and she shall sustain you. That's going to take a little explanation. But you go up to Sidon. There's a widow woman there I've commanded to sustain thee. So he goes up and he finds the chosen widow woman. Elijah says to the widow woman, give me something to drink. As she's going, he says, by the way, bring me a little cake too. And she says to Elijah, look, I've got just a little meal left in a barrel. A little oil left in a cruise. And I was going to make a little cake. And me and my son were going to eat it and die because this drought is about to kill us. And the prophet says to her, you don't worry about that meal. The barrel will not go empty. And you don't worry about the cruise of oil either. It'll never go dry. You just keep pulling out the meal and pouring out the oil. Looks like we've got magical meal and a magical barrel and magical oil and a magical cruise. Bread has already been used. I think I've gone over six instances in the Bible to represent the living bread, Jesus Christ. And that oil is a representative of the Holy Spirit of God. So guess what? The prophet's word comes to pass. 
She just keeps scooping meal out and it won't go dry. And then one day her son dies. And that's a sad thing, isn't it? There's no way to put a pretty face on death. And it's tragic when it's someone that's young. But it turns out, in this case, there's nothing to worry about. You can wipe all the tears out of your eyes. The boy's in good shape. He gets resurrected from the dead. Elijah resurrects him. And now we learn a very valuable about resurrection. Blessed resurrections happen to those who have eaten of the magical meal and the magical oil. Jesus told us that he was that bread of life. Whosoever ateth of that bread will live forever. The young man had eaten the magical bread. He had eaten of the magical meal and oil. Therefore, he rose again. And there's a whole lot to learn about resurrection, giving of life, and just studying that example. But I've got one more. I lied while ago. I got one more. Uh, we get over into Judges chapter 6. And Israel is filled with a foreign invader. The land is filled with Midianites like grasshoppers. By the way, the Bible teaches in the last days, Israel will be filled with invaders. And now you know what this story is really all about. So an angel appears to a fellow named Gideon. And uh, the angel tells Gideon, you have been appointed by God to destroy all these wicked Midianites. And Gideon says, no way that can happen. Now, strange thing is that uh, when this angel met Gideon, he was threshing by a wine press. Go over and read Revelation 14 when it describes the return of Jesus Christ and his dealing with, with the wicked. He's threshing them and casting them into a wine press. So Gideon says there's no way this can happen because he said the kinds of miracles that were done under Moses when we were delivered from Egypt, those don't happen anymore. God has forsaken us. And uh, the angel says to Gideon, you've got an offering, put it on the rock. So he puts his offering on the rock and the angel puts his staff or stick to the rock and boom, fire comes out and consumes the offering. Now that looks very familiar, doesn't it? You remember when Moses put his staff to a rock and water came out? So the same thing just happened except this time it's fire. So this ought to negate Gideon's complaint that God is not doing miracles anymore. Well, Gideon's not convinced. So uh, he tells the angel, look, I want another sign. I've got some fleece here that I'm going to set down on the floor. And in the morning, I want there to be dew on the fleece, but none on the floor. The next morning, he goes out and looks. The, The fleece has got so much dew in it, he could wring a bowl of water out of the fleece. Well, he's still not convinced. And he says to the angel, all right, now tomorrow I want the opposite. I want the fleece to be dry, and I want dew to be all over the floor. So he goes out the next day, and it's the same. 
Well, we got remarkable prophecy in this. For centuries and centuries, the dew or the Holy Spirit of God was only on the fleece, that is, the sheep of Israel. Then it reversed, and the dew was all on the floor throughout the Gentile world, but the children of Israel were dry. Now, if you doubt that, uh, we're going to go a little further, and now I'm getting close. God tells Gideon to go out and uh, pick his army. You know the details of this story, I hope, and poor old Gideon wound up with 300 men. And he's got to fight 135,000. So God says to Gideon that if you're a little bit worried, Gideon, i got one more sign for you. One more sign. That you slip down into the valley where the enemy is, go up within earshot of them, and listen to what they've got to say. So he goes down there and listens very carefully at One of these Gideonites is talking to another and he says, Hey man, I had a bad dream last night. Well, what was it you dreamed? He said, I saw a barley cake. There's your bread again. I saw a barley cake come tumbling down a mountain and destroying a Midianite tent, probably the tent of the leader. Well, wonder what that is. And the other Midianite says, I'll guarantee you what it is. That's the sword of Gideon's going to destroy all of us. Well, one of these days, the bread of God is coming down from heaven in wrath upon the wicked of this world, and they will be destroyed. Jesus says to these Jews, Verse 48, John 6. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh which I give for the life of the world. Now let's uh, run very quickly through what we learned in the Old Testament about the bread. In Melchizedek, we learned that people who eat it have righteousness before God. We come to Joseph. We find out this bread is fed to people out of every kindred, nation, tongue, and people. Uh, We go to the manna. This bread came down from heaven. It's free. It's by God's grace. Uh, We go to the showbread and the meat offerings and things like this under the law. This bread is without leaven. It's sinless. This bread, though, has salt. It endures forever. It's sprinkled with frankincense. This bread is heavenly. Uh, To Ruth. By means of this bread, she was elevated from sin and shame and rejection to a place of great honor. To Elijah, those that eat of this magical bread will live forever. And if they die, they'll rise again. And finally, to Gideon, the great barley cake will one day come down from heaven. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, 
It's because God has fed you this bread. But there's more that you should do. You should want to tell the bread story. What a great honor it was for Joseph to tell God's bread story. What a great honor it was for Melchizedek to tell his bread story. What a great honor for Elijah, Ruth, to tell the great bread story of God. And whenever we partake of the communion, that's what we're doing. We're telling the story about the living bread. Isn't that a story that you ought to support 